Do you think you're living the American dream right now? Oh, my God. The one I thought I was going to live when I grew up or the one that I know is the actual sad American dream that we're all living today because oh, don't, are two don't very start off things. with depression oh. no 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 i'm no, sorry no. it's cloudy outside today <laughs> in a cold dark basement it's, it's he's pondering about himself and the american dream that he once dreamt in the dreaming of the dreams and the dreaming of the dreams so the american dream but hold on hold on let's step back a second let's step back before we start about talking about the american dream and the reality of it all how about speaking of dreams i dream i do dream i dreamt and when i did dream when I did dream, I, I dreamt, dreamt a wonderful dream. Have you ever had a dream that was a prophecy? <laughs> I, I used have to you? dream I could fly. I mean, that's actually, I still have that dream sometimes, and it's my most favorite dream. Oh. If I'm lucid dreaming, and Are I push sure with my going? hands and my feet and through the extended fingers and toes, I feel the energy flowing, and I'm suddenly flying in my dream. I When I had this dream as a kid, because it was a recurring, I guess it's a recurring dream, I used to be able to like somehow I'm playing basketball now and I'm using my flying ability to slam dunk, but not like flying. Uh, self-fulfilling I'm just prophecy like dreams. Running and jumping and whoosh, all of a sudden I'm, you know, playing NBA jam in real life and people are just like amazed and like so excited for me. The prophecy <laughs> As am wa- I. The prophecy you wanted to be real. <laughs> I usually hit a point of self-awareness at that point though and then you uh, wake up and you're like, wait a minute. Yeah, once, you, once you're like, oh, I'm dreaming, you're like, oh. Your brain's like, excuse me. Bum, uh, bum, bum, bum. Reality. Try so, getting that drink back, buddy. I used to have a lot of flying and jumping dreams when I was younger. It's amazing. Not so much any... What did you do? I was normally running, jumping, soaring over either fences or building tops or like in the sky. I was usually elevated over something that I could see. And I was moving fast, typically moving fast, or leading people, like a group of people, like in my family. That was usually the feeling I got. It was like an exodus. I've had some dreams I thought were maybe prophetic, and I've had some really lucid dreams that just stick. Like one dream I was flying in the sky. I was on some kind of crazy device. Puffs of smoke are emitting. It's like some steampunk kind of thing. And it's like boop, 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 boop. It's emitting these puffs of smoke. Such a specifically vivid dream. And there's some other guy flying in a device, and it's, like, adjacent to me. So I'm, like, controlling this thing, and I'm in a single-passenger flying apparatus, and I can't describe its shape, really. I, I feel like it's so small and close to the body, it doesn't have much of a shape, but it flies, and it carries us around, but maybe it has wings, small wings, or something to help it glide. I think that in this dream, this guy's met, communicating to me somehow. Like, I guess we're just close enough to hear each other, or I don't know what. At some point, and we look down, and I swear in the field there was this vision of a date. And that like dream... a date? Yeah, oh, a, num- a date numerical time. date. Yeah. Okay, I'm like, I'm thinking date. So dates. this is a recurring <laughs> thing in my dream. Not the date, per se, but it, it seeing this in the landscape. So I see a number, like, made out of field. Like, the field was being farmed, but the farmer grew the field to have this date. And we're flying away above, and we just happen to be flying over the space, and he's like, look down there. And I'm, like, looking, and it's like, whoa... And there's a couple numbers in mind in my head, but I can't remember the exact number. And so I, I can't, I don't like, was it this date? Was it that date? Mm. Is this a prophecy? So soon you're going to have deja vu and be like, the date is here. Mm. And then maybe, maybe, would that be cool? But I don't know that that's necessarily prophetic if it doesn't come true. I think it's unique. So I've had one prophetic dream for sure that I can recall. I've had dreams that turned out to be repressed memories. So the, the repressed memory dream is really, really simple. I was, 
I kept having this dream that I was a flower girl at a wedding. I was walking down the aisle. I saw the priest, pastor, deacon, whomever. He looked scary to me. I start crying. I run back up the aisle and I see my grandmother at the top of where all the pews are in the back by the doorway and she's laughing at me and I just go up to her and kind of like, you know, my little child mind and body and brain. And so I keep having this dream randomly throughout the years, throughout my childhood, my adult life, into my adult life. And I kept asking my parents, I keep having this dream and I'm at a wedding and I like see the priest and I run away and I I go and grandma's laughing at me and my parent, my mom was like, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know what's happening. And so finally, randomly, I want to say maybe mm, within the last 10 years or so, I bring up this dream randomly at a family, I think it was Thanksgiving. And I just happened to say it at the table and my uncle and my aunt were there and they're like, that was our wedding. You were four years old. And I was like, what? Mm. So this tire, this memory, this dream I've been carrying over and over and over again. And it would cycle itself in my mind. It, it'd pop up here. And then I'd go a few years not to dream about it. And then I'd go through like all these like random periods where I'd be dreaming this dream. I'm like, why is this coming up in my mind? Repressed memory. So that was pretty cool. And to figure out finally like, oh, so it's actually a memory of mine. And I was 30s, four. 30 years later, <laughs> you figure it out. Finally figured out wow. what was happening. That's such a... What a journey. How does it feel to have closure? I can tell you I don't have the dream anymore, or at least I haven't had it since that time, since the mm. revelation. I, I, I'm married now, so I had no fear to priest, no fear to deacons, no fear of being flower girl, because I was the bride. You know, they <laughs> say that dreams are a window into the soul sometimes. Obviously, you, you recall things, you can dream about things you saw, like your everyday life, it falls into your dreams and it doesn't have to make sense. It could just be like random and weird. Oh, that's your brain computing everything that happened to you yeah. in your sleep so you can reset, which is why the REM state is so important. Yeah, but I have dreams sometimes where they feel so different than those normal dreams. Another recurring dream I have that I want to talk about it's, I'm a server, if anybody's ever been in the service industry, food service industry, and you get sat and you're happy and you're taking care of your table. I'm like, oh, this is fun. You're a server in your dreams and you're just, maybe it's more fluid or whatever and you're just kind of hopping go lucky. And then you get sat again and then you get sat again and then you get sat again and you get sat again and you haven't made your first round back to the table yet. And you're trying to get back to that table and you keep getting sat. Big and then all of a sudden sat. you're not wearing a t-shirt and you're like, why am I not wearing a shirt? Oh my gosh, I'm not wearing a shirt and I'm not in the best shape right now. Oh man, oh, 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 oh. The stress, those are, those are the stress dreams. <laughs> those are the stress dreams. But the I, vivid dreams that I love to have always leave me feeling some kind of way. And I, I know I, my grandma passed a couple years ago. I've had a couple dreams right since she passed. But the one that left me with a really happy feeling, in this dream, I'm in my grandma's kitchen where I spent much of my life growing up. And sometimes the sun would shine in through the windows, right? And it would look pretty nice in there when the blinds were open. And I'm in this kitchen that I grew up in, and I'm sitting in it, and I'm watching a family in this kitchen. And the kitchen is remodeled. It looks like amazing and beautiful, kind of like my kitchen I grew up in, but done kind of in the modern way, probably by somebody who's really crafty, who can make the most of the space. And there's these curtains that open up that reveal spaces where you can stick, you know, your pans and things like that above that weren't there. And it's very specific. The architecture was Yeah, it was just very it detailed. Was detailed in a way that was just like, well, that's really cool. That's one of the things that's striking about the dream, that and the light in the dream. Mm. And the curtains that were covering the space were all rainbow in color. And it reminded me of the kitchen growing up when it was full of the people that I loved and lived with 
all the kids. Sometimes neighbors would pop in the door and stuff like that, except it's a black family. Now, this dream is after I married you, right? So there's other things influencing it. My <laughs> wife is a very, I think, influential figure in her community, wherever well, she's at. And so I'm really proud of her. I like to think she's rubbing off on me anyway. Uh-oh. <laughs> Yeah, so there's a black family hanging out in the kitchen, and it's like you can see it's a, a mom. I don't know if she's a grandma or mom, but she's kind of managing the sink and stuff, and she means business when she's going about her business, and she might be talking to some people, and there's some people on the back porch even. It's extended out there because they can't all fit at the table, and you see some of the kids back there, and, and you see them, they're, they're opening boxes and doing something with what's in the boxes. I remember that specifically. It didn't have anything to do with anything, but the details were there. We're back in the kitchen, and I'm now talking to them at the table. And I'm recalling how this used to be my grandma's kitchen, how I love what they did with the place, and how it looks so much better than it used to. And then we're all sitting there talking. Out of nowhere, we get a knock at the side door. And who's at the door? Now, keep in mind, my grandma passed a couple years ago, and before she passed, it was just a year prior, is when my Uncle Bob passed. Yeah. So all this stuff is fresh in my brain. Anywho, Uncle Bob comes to the door, mm -hmm. except it's not just Uncle Bob. It's like this weird version of Uncle Bob in an alternate reality. He's a park ranger, nice. but like <laughs> in Australia, because he's like wearing a vest and like a, a hat that would be appropriate. Uh, it's winter and you're wearing... For somebody wrestling an alligator or a giant snapping turtle or something. <laughs> yeah, maybe he's fishing Bob and he's being him and being kind of silly and kind of making a little bit of an ass of himself, but then walking out the door in, in just a way that was kind of funny. And then the, the mom at the place was kind of like, okay, Bob, okay, Bob. And was kind of like told him to get up out of his business because he was taking over the conversation uh. that we were having. And then we went back to the conversation, and then it turned to uh, the fact that my uh, grandpa lived adjacent to a man who owned a farm. It's unique because in all of Franklin, there's one farm within the city limits, and that's this property across the street from my grandpa. And it was owned by a black man and his family who lived there. And, and when they moved to go be with the rest of their family in New Jersey, they sold their property to my uncle who lived across the street for a while. And I helped them out in the farm and did some things out there. And they had was, an orchard back there, right? Oh, they, well, they had an orchard in the back. They had deer that would come up there. <laughs> when Franklin flooded, uh, if anybody ever wants to look that up, had this huge flood that was a FEMA event where they showed up and now we've got a presence in Franklin. But it was on uh, CNN because there was this picture of this pontoon boat just kind of floating away in the middle of, like not in the middle of Franklin, but in this stretch of, of the trees. <laughs> His boat had started to float away because the water rose, right? And uh, it was just funny. But anyway, going back to the dream, it was it was just a unique insight and it felt like real and the light. And I just remember my grandma's presence in the dream and like oh man <laughs> we'll give you a second <sighs> to compose so the anyway. light in the room the curtains yeah but it felt felt like she detail. was in there and i just remember waking up crying like happy cry oh you woke up crying yeah dream? dude that's why it hit me like that where was i i was i i i, I told you about the dream i don't think you did but what was i doing when you woke up i don't remember <laughs> i'm not going <laughs> to Babe, I'm crying. I was probably just like, just, you know, eyes were wet, kind of like, oh, man. You know, but who knows? If I talk in my sleep, you tell me. That's amazing. Oh, you've talked in your sleep sometimes, but it's not a, it's not a recurring thing. That's really beautiful. Yeah. Aw. That was that's, good. That was that's, good. Uh, 
I love the detail and all the multiple components to it. And obviously it pulled in stories from your past and your present and your reality in this way that if you break down some of the themes, the remodeling of the home, the different family, the joy you felt with these new people, and then the merging of your current family and family in general and the joy that was in that space in the kitchen and then Uncle Bob just kind of like showing up and being himself but alternate reality of himself and then, you know, leaving and all of these different people are very familiar with each other. I don't know. That's that's something to that is something to wake up and be joyful and have joyful tears for. You know, especially I, you know recalling I, the fact that I, I did. Know, I felt very welcome. I kind of I felt like familial, like community sort of love, and I love that feeling when I feel that out in public. When I feel that out and about, I married a sensitive man. <laughs> I married a sensitive man. That's okay. It's all right. I love it. That's that's one of the reasons why I married you. I fell in love with you. Is that that compassion? Yeah, I love that. Thanks for sharing that again. Yeah. So I had an experience where I was getting ready for confession, you know, doing my mental exercise. And I was going to go to the church near my parents' house. And as I was preparing for confession, I was about to go drive in the car and I'll go there and wait and then you know, go to the confessional and talk to the priest. I had this moment that came through me. So an experience, I'm saying a moment, it was a moment in time, but experience where there is a voice or an, a declaration, say less auditory. I can't even explain it because it wasn't like I was hearing a voice in a way that we hear things coming from the outside in. This was an internal declaration where I was being made aware that when I go to confession, I would receive information from the priest that was against church teaching. And when I receive that information or hear that information that I basically need to pray in the moment and know that this conflicting uh, messaging is going to happen, you're going to get through it and you're going to be okay on the other side of it, but it is going to happen. So don't be surprised. This is me colloquially kind of summing things up. Mm. Paraphrasing. Premonition. So I'm like, wow, it's really weird. But the, the emotion behind it was so strong and so certain that I felt very confident going in, but also like, interesting, this is weird that I'm even having this kind of experience right now. So I go to confession. I say my business. The priest gives me his feedback and reflection. And it was exactly how it was laid out. He said something that was like, I know is against church teaching. If I had gone to 20 other million different priests and I had gone to friends who were devout Catholics and said said this experience, I would have been like, what? I don't know if I've shared it with other people as much as like I've shared it with you. But I because I think part of that experience was that it was going to be very personal to me. So I prayed in the moment and then I basically left confession. And I was just like, this is really weird because what he told me is not church. It doesn't, we don't do that in the Catholic church. And I don't know what was trying to infiltrate, what was trying to attack me or the priest or whatever, but there was some spiritual something going on there. And I was, I believe I was being informed of what was going to happen because had I taken the priest's advice, I would have been doing something that was against what God designed men and women to be doing. So, and you can read in between the lines, but it was very interesting. That's one. Do you think that you would have been open to what the priest said had you not had the premonition? No. Because of where I was in my faith journey. Yeah. 
had I been a different person, had I been maybe feeling a certain way that day and not maybe grounded in my faith, I probably would have thought about it like, oh, maybe since you said it, it's okay. You know, mm. maybe not have been, uh, what is the word, convicted. Mm. If I wasn't convicted in my spirituality, my faith, I probably could have wavered. Satan likes to find room for that, likes to find spaces where he can kind of manipulate people because they don't have a strong foundation. And that, that could have been somebody else. He could have, the priest could have been saying that to other people and leading other people astray. Did you confront the priest? I didn't. No, I didn't. It's um, hard to do sometimes. You know what? You know, it's so weird when you said that because I, then I, I immediately thought of... Kind of important. I immediately thought of myself as a child talking to an adult. And, you know, when children are okay, have wis- more wisdom than adults, and then what do you do when you want to say, maybe that's not right. And I'm not equating to myself in the priest like a child to an adult, but that's just where my mind went instantly for some reason. I guess that was a feeling I had, but... Yeah, I mean, I, I think in a different situation, maybe I would confront. I would be very awkward. Very yeah, awkward. I, awkward confrontations. I believe in them. Yeah. Hold I on. do. Hold on. This is a premonition in my awake state. So um, with my, my friend, my friend Becca, we're about to go to this bar. We're so excited. We got, we roll up, about to go in there. And I had just gotten back from England. So I was like on a high, like, oh, yeah, yeah I'm cool. I'm cool. I'm cool. This is 2011. And Becca used to work at this location. I forget the name of the bar. So we roll up, and all of a sudden, I get this really awkward feeling of caution, fear. Oh, my gosh. Don't go in there. But not don't go in there. It was maybe I was having that internal dialogue, but I wasn't listening to that don't go in there. I was listening to the fear and then listening to the, the questioning and the everything. So I had this feeling that something was going to happen when I walked in there. So I started to pray, St. Michael prayer, St. Michael the Archangel, defend us in battle, be our protection against the wickedness and the snares of the devil. May God rebuke and we humbly pray. And to thou, o Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the divine power of God, cast into hell Satan and all the evil spirits who wander throughout the world, seeking the ruins of souls. Amen. Within that prayer, something happened, and I almost said, like, the wrong thing. It was really weird. I was like, what is going on right now? I was like, what is happening? So I, I restarted prayer. I finished it, and then I, I'm ready to go into the club. So going to the club, it's crowded, it's thick, music's banging, da 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 My friend goes to the bar, I'm like, let's go. And I'm like, I gotta go to the bathroom, go to the bathroom, come back. I'm wandering through the bar, trying to meander through people. I'm meandering. I see this really tall dude. I'm like, whatever. I don't think I even saw him. I was meandering past him. This dude who's like six something, he's much taller than me, much bigger than me, kind of like turns to me, like bucks me as if I'm like impeding on his space. And I'm like trying to tell him, oh, yeah, it's loud, you know, in the, in the club. I'm like, yeah, yeah, I'm trying to, trying to get to my friend. She's at the bar. And he's like, no, no, what you doing? What you doing? You I was like, whoa. Was <laughs> Wait. he mad that you weren't taking his advance? He wasn't trying to advance. Okay. He was just, I was just in his way. I was expendable. Mm. It was one of those things where if you stepped on somebody's shoe and then they want to fight you immediately, that's literally what it was. But I stepped on my shoe because I remember that. I remember not stepping on somebody's shoe for me to have that kind of emotional. He was ready. He was ready to buck and knuck and buck and fight and, and was throw down else, and else choke somebody on out. World. So I tell him I'm just trying to get to my friend. And then he picks me up on my throat, what? throws me up over the bar. My fedora flies off the bar. I remember looking up and the spotlight hitting my eyes and my face and me thinking, What? is happening what just happened how did i get here the spotlights in my face i've been lifted up over the bar i hear my friend becca being like she because she i was behind her so all of a sudden i'm next to her you know like at the bar 
And I, she's like, what's going on? So she's getting in the guy's face. And I just kind of like see that at the corner of my eye. And I'm waiting for something to happen. And I'm kind of frozen. There's no help to be found. At least it seems so long. And finally somebody came over, you know, some security person got him. I was eventually placed down somehow. And then he left and my friend was like, are you okay? Are you okay? And I was like, thank God somebody came over and dealt with this dude. But I was kind of like, oh yeah, yeah, it's cool. Like, no, nah, whatever's fine. I'm cool. You know, but I was trying shock. to shrug it off. It was total shock. Shock. That total shock. Like, something like that would, would hit you hard. Total, like a boomerang, just total shock. After. And I tried to brush it off like I was, you know, whatever. I had my little drinks, had my fun. We hung out with some friends afterwards and I was telling them what happened. And man, when I got home, I just cried so hard. And I realized what had happened in the car was a warning to what was going to happen inside the bar. And when I got home, I remembered that when I was 10, an older kid threw me over the washing machine in in the laundromat of the place I used to live at in Florida. I mean, he threw me over, but he choked me, lifted me up in the same manner, just hands on the throat over the, because I called him a rat face. I remember that specifically. Mm. I called him a name. I don't know what he did. He probably pissed me off or whatever. You know, kids being kids around. I was trying to do my little like, oh, if y'all just offer each other just a little bit of dignity. (laughs) Well, (laughs) it was kids going back and forth. But I remember he he was a bigger kid. and Just he wanted to choose violence. I forget how that scenario ended. Maybe I was able to get loose or whatever. I forget. I can't remember that far because, again, shock. Right. And I hadn't thought about that memory in a while. But when it happened again, I remembered and kind of brought me back to my childhood self. And it was it was very intense. So the premonition part was what happened in the car. And had I probably followed it, and I'm still Catholic at that point too, I probably would have been like, maybe we shouldn't walk in there and had a discussion with my friend about what just happened. I didn't tell her. I don't think I told her all that happened. I'm like, I just got a weird feeling. I might brush it off like that. When I was praying the St. Michael prayer, I was doing it in my mind, in my head. So I wasn't sharing that I was going through this like <laughs> spiritual situation. But when it all was said and done, I think I may have revealed it to her, but I don't remember. That's such a difficult experience. You have the trauma of the experience. How can we say that God let something like that happen to us? I will say that getting tossed like that, not pleasant, but maybe the lesson of the premonition could prove valuable. I mean, hopefully we don't have something dark like that. I had a similar experience once with a premonition. It's almost validation of the spirit to me. It really hit home. It was heavy. It's not the best experience, but it really shed light that God is real and he's trying to talk to you. Yeah. <laughs> he's trying to talk to you. And sometimes that. it's not like a loud, it's not like a loud, like your parent yelling. Sometimes it's, it's, it feels different. Man, I, I remember seeing my life flash before my eyes one time up on a monkey bars when I was like seven. And I'm just like, oh my God. And I didn't know how I didn't fall. And I remember telling my mom when I got home and I'm like, how did that happen? What happened? There's no reason I should I should have fallen. And I'm like, God caught me. Now, I don't remember if that's exactly what happened, but it felt like that at seven or however old I was because I was walking up on top of the top of the monkey bar. It was the top of the top. Like, I can oh, do this. Doing, Look at me go. You were doing the top, top. <laughs> All those kids, we Unassisted, used to do that back like in you the were day. a gymnast. We were all gymnasts I, I should have fallen, day. and I somehow didn't. And I did fall a couple times, though. Uh, here I am. We fall and we get back up again. What's that line in uh, that Batman Dark Knight where he, uh, I get knocked down. And I'll get That's up not again. what I was referring to, but, but it was like, you know, why did we fall, Bruce? To learn to get ourselves back up again. That was, 
racism. Was that Alfred when he's in his deathbed? No, it's Alfred talking to Bruce Wayne when he falls down the pit. Alfred sounded kind of pitiful there. Sorry. <laughs> well, I think I was. I think I was trying to imitate young Batman, young young Bruce responding. That's probably not how the scene went. My bad. <laughs> so dreams, dreams are insightful. Dreams can be. They can be scary. They I, can be beautiful. They can be whimsical. They can be lucid. They can be. I tell you what, premonitions. Dreams. I think dreams are uh, a bridge to the soul. And and one thing I'm hearing about and and wanting to look into more is how they could be literally the bridge to the afterlife in a way for us to kind of prepare ourselves for that. And I don't know much about much, but there's some old stuff that alludes to that that I'm I'm kind of starting to dig on and and I'm going to look at more. But yeah, um, I, I believe it. I think that as people, we have our physical and we have our spiritual, and the connector between the two. I think dreams have a space, have a place right there mm-hmm. in, the, in the connection. But speaking of dreams, back to the American dream. So what we're, what America. She's, what, what she's trying to say is, well, welcome to episode four of this lot of hours. This light of hours. Truth grows when the spirit's aflame. Truth glows. Let's spread that fire. Welcome back. We are happy to be here. Truthglows at gmail.com. <laughs> Truthglows at gmail.com. And you can find us on Instagram. This underscore light underscore of underscore hours. On not, Instagram. Not hours. Our. Not H O U R S. Hours. Okay, I'm done. I'm sorry. I'm being really ridiculous right now. I'm having too much fun with the microphone. So for today's episode, my wife was saying so many times, you know, we're interested in taking a closer look at the American dream. Really what we are discussing is picking up off of a family conversation, talking about the show with the fam and uh, wanted to get some ideas. What, what do you think? What would you be interested in? And, you know, you're not supposed to talk religion and politics with family, but... We said it's Thanksgiving Day. We're going to do it anyway. We're going to do what we're going to do. But uh, we didn't get too deep, but we did touch on the idea that there's so many things that you grew up thinking that were not the same. The lies like, we were told as children, <laughs> the, the dreams we were trying to achieve that, in fact, were not full truths at all. Yeah. So, I mean, that's kind of one of the themes of the show, really. There's so many things that fall into that category. The tooth fairy. I remember... My mom telling me not to crack my knuckles, that I'd get arthritis when I grew up. That's apparently a myth. What? You never heard that? Pop your knuckles? No, because listen, I come from an African family. Tooth fairy, Santa Claus, those things were not, (laughs) you know, Peter Pan. No, we're not. (laughs) Those things, no. The family at least, At least least my parents. My parents are old school. When you grew up, what did they think about Christopher Columbus? I don't remember having any discussions about Christopher Columbus, although I could ask them now and ask them, hey, what did you learn about who discovered America when you're in primary school in Nigeria? That would be an awesome conversation to, to okay, get okay. to Let's... get some insight on that. Hey, mom, dad, how you guys doing? <laughs> Hi, miguel. What, what do you guys think <laughs> about <laughs> the story of Christopher Columbus? Because when I was a child, we grew up knowing that the earth was flat before Christopher Columbus proved that the world was round when he finally traveled to America for the first time ever and found all of the Native Americans who only came there by ice bridge and were all a bunch of wild savages until he showed up and we finally established upon the just wild landscape 
and that there was no pre-established civilization, just a bunch of nomadic tribes traversing different points across the United States. And it was only Christopher Columbus that could come and save the people from their demise. And then we went straight from Indians to cowboys and Indians, and then we went straight from cowboys and Indians to trains in the cities that we know today. And before that, it was just, you know, what? I don't know what it was before then, but uh, I wasn't alive then. But I will say that a lot of what we were fed, we did touch about this very, very briefly in like episode one. But a lot of what we were fed was not the truth regarding Christopher Columbus. We now know that he was a murderer. I mean, we know a whole bunch of other things, too. But he was not the person who discovered he was anything. the He's not who they said he was. He's no. Not, he's, you're not who you say you are, Chris. You're not who you are. Christopher Columbus was an Italian explorer who stumbled upon the Americas and whose journeys marked the beginning of centuries of transatlantic colonization. History.com. Transatlantic colonization. Colonizer. He was the first. Chris. <laughs> he was oh, the first. Chris religion. Columbus the colonizer. CCC was way ahead of the KKK. Wow. <laughs> that I don't even know what to say. <laughs> I don't even know what to say about that one. Well, alphabetically speaking, wow. I mean, the one comes before the other. The C's C before the K's. Does, yeah. I'm just making an observation. That doesn't mean anything. The legacy of Christopher Columbus. History.com. Christopher Columbus did not quote unquote discover the Americas, nor was he the first. But his journey kicked off centuries of exploitation on the American continents. Exploitation. Yeah. I remember learning that Christopher Columbus was this awesome voyager who sailed the seas and came up upon all of the new people and the, uh, the lies, you know? He didn't really do any of that stuff in the ways that we were told. And I, I wonder why that lie was kept up. Why were we taught these things when we were little? Well, it's about it was um, a savior of sorts. Supposedly indoctrination. I don't know. There's a lot going on. It seems to me like icons are made of some of these individuals. They called him a darling. Here, look, look. History.com. Today, Christopher Columbus has a controversial legacy. He is remembered as a oh daring, not darling. <laughs> daring and path-breaking explorer who transformed the new world. Well, but we all know the truth now. Years and years later, after we were pumped full of all this information when we were little, history is but the what is it? The 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 story of the conqueror. Yeah, all those Columbus statues and any memorials to Columbus. Knights of Columbus were being one of probably them. put together by his homies, not the homies of the previous regime. <laughs> Christopher Columbus has some homies apparently, and they they want to make sure his legacy kept alive. Well, I it's... think that there's something to that because I I think there's they're all in a big club essentially. If you look at it, he's a part of this group of people. I'm sure there's a lot more to the story. We can't speak to what it was like back then, but truth be told, much like today these power players come from certain places and you have to be a part of a certain club it seems like to be a part of these things i don't know i'm trying to speak to the idea that there are a number of individuals who are put into these positions i think a lot of it's fame and fortune right is why people band together and carry out their evil plans there's this promise of fame and this promise of riches. And that's why Columbus went sailing. You know what I'm saying? He was part of the Spanish court or whatever. And they oh, were like, we look, they're going to give you some money. And you're Catholic too. Let's go ahead and get it done. And there was geopolitical moves, you know. I remember them saying that Columbus set out to prove the earth was round. Mm. But that was not what happened. 
he was coming out to discover America, but that had already happened. <laughs> they, you know, even them saying, well, yeah, it happened because Leif Erikson already did it. Well, no offense, Leif Erikson, but I bet there were history that goes well beyond, well beyond Leif Erikson. And also, there's a whole history of oral traditions and oral history that was passed down before things were written down and before the non-dark skinned people were doing things. So it's like, who's telling the story and from what perspective? The other idea, too, that he was going to Asia and he thought that that's where they were sailing and that they were surprised to discover America. Oh, and that they thought it was India or whatever. His math was wrong. His calculations yeah, that, were wrong. That, I'm pretty sure that wasn't a thing. <laughs> Oh, sorry. I thought we were going to go here. And then, no, that's not how he talked. He probably spoke. He probably had a, a thick Italian accent or whatever. But when I think about the discrepancy, you know, we were doing coloring sheets, talking, making little hand puppets of turkeys. We were doing all these things. They were like, oh, it's so Columbus, cute. Let's talk about Columbus, Columbus Day. Columbus Good old Day. Chris. I'm going to name my kid Chris we had, no, when but, I grow up. And we had, we had Columbus Day my... off from school, right? And we were all leading all up to Columbus Day. And then, like, afterwards, we're like, how was your Columbus Day? Now we're like, the world is like, we're not celebrating that day anymore. Indigenous Peoples Day is what we're doing. And, and I mean, to have that shift within our lifetime, it's not like we're old. You know what I'm saying? We're, we're, we're parents now. So our children are in school and they're going to be learning a completely different thing. And it's like, well, what else were we doing? taught when we were younger that is not reality or it's watered down or washed down or whitewash whatever words you want to use Christopher Columbus is not a good person why were we learning about it in school like he was you know <laughs> he was completely brutal to the people that he met that were indigenous that's what his crews did to the indigenous people they brutalized them that's obviously 1000% understated when we were children right so in fourth grade when you're like coloring your little your little ship uh, coloring sheets and you're making your little hand puppet and how america's was was founded they're not going to slip in actually instead of all the things that we're doing right now, this activity is not appropriate. In fact, they were slaughtering and killing. And in fact, that's the truth. And we should tell you, four-year-old self, that fourth grader or whatever age. Ah, I don't Speaking know. about finding out the truth about holidays as a younger self, Christmas was always a fun one to figure out when you were young. How old were you? How old was I when I, when what? You figured out that Santa wasn't real. Father um, Christmas. <laughs> so you mentioned Father Christmas. Santa Claus was not a person that existed in my world. Not to the degree that many of my friends might say, Santa Claus, Santa Claus, Santa Claus. No, Santa Claus was not. I mean, I remember seeing him on wrapping papers, obviously in commercials and stuff, but my parents never bought into that idea whatsoever. Like, it was just not a thing. In Nigeria, it's Father Christmas, and Father Christmas was not a white man. Father Christmas was reflected the people that lived in the village and in the city with them. So it was mostly another African, another Nigerian who, you know, was playing Father Christmas, but not in the same vision that it was at over here. So when I had this conversation, with my parents it was like what did you guys do oh you know it was mostly about being with family and cooking and rice was a delicacy you know this is back in the 60s and 70s and uh, early 80s before they moved to the united states but you know rice was a delicacy so like that's when you brought out like the, the nice fish and the nice chicken and nice stew and everybody was having a good time with each other and there was no exchange of gifts if anything maybe a small amount of money to the kids you know, my parents described your mom or your dad or your auntie or whoever was caring for you would have a new outfit sewn for you. And that would be hidden away for however long. And then you'd wear your new clothes on Christmas Day and then go see family. And then there were plays, uh, music, very festive, lively time 
but it was all about the community celebrating the holiday and celebrating you know the spirit of and Jesus Christ and you know, birth and the holy family and all of that. So it was beautiful. That See? was more what Christmas the experience was like. Father Christmas was not portrayed like Santa Claus. So mm-hmm. I didn't have those concepts growing up. Now it clashed with what my parents grew up with versus what I saw on television or in the shopping malls. You know what I'm saying? Mm. I don't remember sitting on Santa's lap. And maybe there's pictures of me when I was younger because my parents were like, okay, this is what people do here. But they didn't grow up like that. So yeah. our Christmases were always very, very small. They were very humble. I was always happy with the small one or two, three gifts that I got. And we just enjoyed spending time with each other and eating and having fun, listening to music and laughing. I was but America. so proud to figure out Santa wasn't real when I was, I think, five or six. Just like, God oh, figured it out. I just remember my parents were not well to do when I was little. But I will say this. There were a couple years where we got some gifts from donations. That, that was great. And then there were a couple years where we weren't well to do and my father went out of his way to bust his chops and put a ton of stuff under the tree for us anyway. And it was just like, what? Mm. <laughs> and those those moments were, were pretty cool. They managed to fluff up what was underneath there enough to make it a pretty special experience for us little boys, me and my two younger brothers who were all, you know, within about a six-year range of each other. So Christmas morning was so special, and it, but it wasn't just about the presence. It was also about the presence of the Holy Spirit, I got to say, and we had a great, great Christmas Mass every year at Good Shepherd Lutheran on 31 in Franklin. Going to those services going to grandma's house before and then going home and then falling asleep. Those were very special, like romantic moments in grandma and grandpa and mom and my uncles growing up at the church. They all made a big deal about giving giving Holy Spirit (laughs) and giving Jesus his due Absolutely, on Christmas. And I can't help but have noticed my whole life since I was younger and my parents would talk about it. And Crazy Uncle Bob would call Santa Satan growing up just because you can turn the letters around. It was like, just don't don't sleep on the Santa myth. It's not just all fun and games. You know, there's some temptation there. And I think there's something to that. I think that the Santa idea isn't evil in nature, but I do think that it could be a tool to a darker nature in some people because of the way that it is a lure. And it's a lie. Santa is not real. There's no one who comes down the chimney to give you gifts under your tree and you leave him cookies and milk. That is, I don't know what that is. Yeah. Who is that? Well, who does that? So we don't celebrate Santa Claus in our house. We don't, Santa Claus isn't in our house. No. We, we don't talk about Santa Claus. We, we've we've, we've eliminated him. <laughs> and my kids are going to grow up thinking mom and dad for the oh, hard work. awesome gift. I may still want to put gifts under the tree like I'm Santa. I still have that desire to make your kids little dreams come true but we don't glorify santa we spend the time that we can glorifying god and the energy that we can <laughs> because man time and energy is just so hard to come by we got to spend all that glorifying the holy spirit and, yes and god amen i think my amen i think my my older sister made a joke like why why would i put basically why would i write gifts from santa when i'm the one who's paying the bills yeah and she's coming from wrong? nigeria so it's like it's like why would i even and i'm playing this game our little ones will not be like oh my gosh santa's real he's not they're not going to have any traumatic, mm-mm, that's, look, he ain't real, okay? Period, point blank. He's a fairy man, fairy tale person. St. Nicholas, we could discuss how he set the tone for giving gifts and alms, giving his time, talent, and treasure, and helping out children, and being a good steward to the welfare of children. We should all be doing that, but we're not glorifying Santa Claus in this house. 
End scene. End scene. <laughs> so not perpetuating those lies. Now, okay, there's a whole. Some, some people are gonna get mad. Like you just destroy Christmas for the kids. Look, I'm sorry. I'm not, maybe I'm not sympathetic. I didn't grow up like that. I didn't grow up with talking about. We're Santa. We're Santa. Is he coming down the chimney? I sang the song because they were around, but I wasn't. That's not what we was doing. We were just. We were just happy to be with our family. Well, Saint Nicholas <laughs> was known for his generosity and kindness, particularly toward children and Absolutely. those in need. So the idea of Santa goes beyond that too. There's a Dutch Santa Claus. It's a contraction of Saint Nicholas. It's celebrated. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I so think Saint Nick, I, I, I Saint think, Nick, I think you the really transformation point. of Saint Nick into Santa is you natural, are. I think. But the the lure the, that you talk about, the lure, which is the modern incarnation of Santa, and then the push to buy gifts, the push to buy gifts, the commercialization, yeah, and the integration com- into the corporate the com- infrastructure of the modern world is a it's a trap and the complete it's something absence. I'm so I have such a hard time of with the Holy Spirit. I want to buy everyone all the presents. Well, so bad. I want to be Santa. What do you want for Christmas? I want you to focus on what we're about to do in February. Um, so I think Saint Nick is uh, worth talking about, but I also, I also know that if I go to the grocery store, the grocery department store online, I'm bombarded with gifts, things to buy, commerce, 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 and it doesn't stop. And it's like we work so hard to buy. Are these we gifts. forgetting the spirit of joy, the spirit of almsgiving, the spirit of what is your talent, your treasure, your gift? Your time, your talent, your treasure. What are you doing in the spirit of Christmas, in the spirit of giving, and less about gifts, getting gifts, getting things very egocentric or very individualistic? Like, what are you giving out to the world? And I feel like if Santa Claus was a fake person, if a fairy tale, that was his campaign, was what are you doing for the for your fellow man? I may be like, oh, yeah, Santa's pretty cool. Okay, kids, when you hear what Santa was saying, okay, so you need to follow what Santa was saying so that you can get these presents. But that's, but, and make it like that. But it's, and so I get the idea of creating, you know, an imaginary or, you know, taking a, an actual person or, you know, folklore or whatever and making it make sense so that you can encourage good behavior from little ones. To basically propagate and lift up the icon of Santa Claus to say that he's a figure that needs to be believed in. So that kids eventually. I think I think he's a figure that makes. I think he's a figure that encourages parents to have to buy twice as many presents. My dad used to have him from. It would say from mom and dad and from Santa. You know what I mean? He had to do that for how long? And he. It's not like that really. Oh, so but for from some mom people, and dad from Santa. So it was like yeah. an extra gift from Santa because Santa has so much influence in what goes on in your finances. Yeah, and in your so house. Santa encourages everyone <laughs> to buy presents, and it became a thing like that. I remember all the commercials. Santa's drinking Coke. We're just drinking a Coke, wanting some presents so bad. Can't wait to see. Oh, look at this new uh, Hot Wheels set. Oh, look at this new, you know, Nerf bow and arrow. Oh my gosh, check out this new Nintendo. And then pushing all all these mommy. Yeah. Can I make a list for Christmas? And these I'm gonna make a list for Santa. I'm gonna put it in the newspaper. And the newspaper's selling selling toys by putting letters to Santa in their newspaper. And imagine these kids who have no money are being like, Oh, this is what I want, 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 this one. What are you doing, child? Are you helping out mom and dad? Are you being kind to your brothers and sisters? But Santa is an icon. 
And much like Santa, there are many icons in our landscape, in our TVs, on our newspapers over the years that have influenced us. And and much like we have to work really hard to pay off that that Santa. That Santa bill. uh, That Santa bill. Oh, my God. (laughs) Going back to what came up in the family discussion. So we're asking everybody about what we should talk about or kind of reminiscing on what we're leading into. And who was it that brings up this awesome topic? Uh, The uh, protege, Young Lucky. Young Lucky. He's the oldest of the four, though, and so he's not so young anymore. He's finally, what, 14? Grown into a man. Ready to drive, he says. So Lucky Lucky pops over to me and says, Henry Ford and the American Dream and the 40-hour work week. And I said, go tell your father. <laughs> and he got so excited. He's like, steps over to you and sits on the couch and is like waiting for an, time to insert into conversation because we've trained him very well not to just abruptly in, insert himself into adult conversations. And he's waiting. He's like, oh, oh. Uh, okay, well, what about what about the American Dream, Dad? What about what about the forty-hour work Lucky week? Lucky is a and I was history like, buff. Yes. He ha- doesn't have a crazy Uncle Bob, but he has a, a crazy dad who pushes him and stuff. So he doesn't just like believe me. Kind of like I didn't believe my uncle with a lot of the crazy stuff that he would say. Some of which actually Turned a lot of which are turning, is turning out to be true. Maybe that's why he was so crazy. No, he had all kinds of crazy reasons. But I am not surprised at all that he brought this up just because he's such a... Well, he was thinking uh, of you yeah. when he thought about it because he knows how hard you work and he knows your work history because you, you've shared that and he, we've observed that. And he knows he believes, and through hearing discussions that we've had, that we're not designed to be at the desk for 40 hours Yeah, and crunched over and staring at a computer screen. I mean, before it was like in a factory for read- whatever many hours, but we don't have to do that anymore. Why is that the narrative? Why is that the push when you're a child even? And so all these falsehoods that we were taught, you know, Christopher Columbus and Thanksgiving Day and all the pilgrims and the and the natives, they were having snacks and eating turkey sandwiches oh, yeah. and having a great and the, time. I'm sure the Indians celebrate Thanksgiving, too, because it was such a joyous convention of the people together. And my guess is they all wore belt buckles um, on their hats. They had they had uh, bibs on that said, I love turkey. They had uh, shoes made out of turkey skins. And then they had... Uh, they, okay. So, so, so the 40 so hour work week in the American dream being the thing that we grew up believing in uh, when we were young. Man, I got a job when I was 11. I got uh, my first job when I was, I begged for it when I was 14, finally got it when I was 15. I worked at MVP Sports with my best friend. And I've had mm-hmm. more jobs than a country road has twists and turns. So I'm paper boy. <laughs> not looking, looking for any more jobs. I'm looking for the right job at this point. I'm but looking to live. Um, Gosh. I love my job. I love taking care of toddlers. If I could just do this and make the money that I want, I would be so happy. So wish me luck. Actually, taking care of toddlers is one of the hardest jobs I've ever had. Oh my gosh. Oh, speak to Raising every, them every to be mother and parent in a monastery environment, responsible young independent people. Job. So we're talking about the forty hour work week in the American dream and he brings up Henry Ford as a prime example lucky he, brings up Henry Ford a, 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 as, as, as <laughs> at Thanksgiving one, dinner as one of the people who are responsible for the modern incarnation of the 40-hour work week so I, that's a great topic to get into it hits home to me because like my wife said I've worked a lot and prior to the job I'm at now I I work hours into the weekends my kids are tired of seeing me work and I know they definitely want to spend more time with me and it's been one of the biggest challenges of my entire life having to balance that act keep myself afloat and to feel happy with what i have (laughs) you're taking care of your responsibilities but then it's at the expense of certain things and then is that is are those expenses is the way that the system is set up the system meaning like the work the work week workforce system set up is it set up to make you a slave 
Is it set up to enslave you within your own family or is it set up to be something else that we don't ever see? Well, <laughs> can you make it can you make it something else? Let I, me tell you. <laughs> I think that I believe that it is by design that we are essentially indentured servants in our own way. It's not the old indentured servant that we grew up learning about in our history class. It is a little something different. Our entire system is built off of debt. And it's a never-ending pyramid Ponzi scheme of debt. It seems that there's no way out of it unless they change stuff up completely. And so they're looking to do a reset, I feel like, right now. And that's a lot of the crazy things that we're seeing lately are actually, I think, more tied to this than the reality of what's being portrayed per se. (laughs) I don't know. All I know is that I don't know. But I don't know, and it seems like, and it smells like, and, you know, when there's smoke, there's fire. And, man, it sure is smoky in here. Yeah, it's not only is it smoky, but I think if you th- think back to the Wizard of Oz, you know, just that illusion of the man or the the voice behind it all. There are people pulling strings behind these systems that were set up long before we actually were even born. And Henry Ford is certainly one of these big characters. Yeah. Now he's not the the big fish that John D. Rockefeller is, but or what's that fire? What's him. that Firestone? What's that Firestone guy oh, name? Oh, you're getting ahead. So Mr. Firestone and Henry Ford and uh, a guy you may have heard of, um, our friend Edison. No, the Thomas big, Edison, the, the guy who invented electricity, remember? <laughs> Thomas Edison, the guy who uh, we are now learning stepped all over Nikola Tesla to establish himself as the man we know for electricity, at least when it comes to the history books that we grew up with. So another example, I think... I don't remember learning about Tesla when I was younger. Not at all. I remember learning about Edison. Tesla was a mystery. I remember the first time I really got excited about Tesla was watching the movie The Prestige. Yes, me too. I was like... Amazing film. Yeah, it really was. I had heard about him before that, but only in the fringe. And it really opened a door to to the, the character that is Tesla. So these guys... One thing that I discovered recently about all of those characters that I mentioned... And this is a a, a synchronicity is one of these things. I think God gives us some insight, but sometimes a synchronicity is just straight facts. Like all four of these people lived in Florida at the end of their lives, Rockefeller anyway. There's many reasons one would want to live in Florida, obviously. Maybe not nowadays. It's kind of got a different stigma, but I still think it's one of the more beautiful places on earth. I lived there for six years. Gainesville, Florida. Yeah, that's where I dealt with all the ridiculous colorism issues, but... I digress. Gulf sides is the west side's the best side. Man, I grew up Siesta Key area, so I mean one of the most beautiful beaches in the entire world, uh, where I proposed to my wife there in Siesta Key. Anyway, it is what it is. These cats were all there. They were all living there, and turns out Edison living and their Ford best life. were really good friends. Ford bought Edison a home, and then bought a property adjacent and lived. And I guess their homes were like back to back, and like literally lived next to each other. There are and folks that be doing that today. Look, look, we got, we yeah, gonna get well, this land together. That's and what I want to do. I want to live in a community of people. So good on them for thinking that way, right? <laughs> what, but it, it, there, there was seems to be more to that relationship. I guess some people even allude there's even more to that relationship. I have nothing to know about anything like that. But they were businessmen. They were businessmen. And so men, in and their businessmen minds, businessmen. they were like, "How can we get our our land together?" I would imagine, right? 
you're a businessman, you're probably always thinking about how to get ahead and combining forces is usually one tactic, right? Yeah. And it's funny because you've got mm. Thomas Edison and Henry Ford living together. And did you know that those two and Harvey Firestone? Harvey. Harvey Firestone. Good old Harvey. That they took a 10-year vacation together. 10 years or 10 days? I'm not saying. I'm just saying. They took a 10-year vacation together across the United States. It was the first ever road trip. 10 years? Who does that? Not only was it a road trip, it was a robber baron road trip. Robber baron? Yes. It says robber baron. Say Um, like that, robber baron. Robber baron. Rubber baby buggy bumpers. Robber baron. What's that mean? What's a robber baron? Somebody who's robbing the barons? Robbing you you baron? Oh, Lord. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) That's not the definition, but certainly that applies. Wow. Double entendre. Entendre. Okay, so the term Robert Barron historically referred to as a powerful and wealthy business magnate or capitalist who used unscrupulous and exploitative business practices to amass their wealth during the late 19th and early 20th century United States. So these individuals were often associated with unfair labor conditions and just the ruthless pursuit of profit. Everybody who basically just was like, let me get that money out of the sweat and welfare of others. Before there were unions and stuff like that. Yeah, I know I have lots of money, but I don't have all the money. So that's these guys. (laughs) You know, (laughs) this was characterized by rapid industrialization, economic growth. However, a significant social inequality comes with all of that. Of course. And does that um, sound like America or not? That's yeah, American dream or not? That's that's America. That's that's our boy John D. Rockefeller. John D. and Harvey. Not to be confused with the John D. And Ooh, another episode. Harvey, Harvey Firestone. Uh, yeah, and our boy Harvey. So they take a 10-year road trip. They go all over America in their Model Ts. Woohoo! We got uh, the car! You know, they're camping. They're like, hey, let's go on this road trip and let's, let's, let's show off our cars. So they've got newspapers <laughs> and there's magazines, you know, chronicling their adventures across the United States this whole time. You know, I'm sure it's a huge for the American people to perceive that at the time. You know, well, very influential. Had, Edison had, didn't he have uh, some hands in the mass, mass communication? Like, uh, like wasn't he one of those guys who like, oh, helped yeah. build like, uh, the, the camera and motion pictures? The telephone, and telegram, all that. He was responsible for a lot of the communications that were going back and forth in addition to taking ownership of the world but it's funny because you know all these cats had their own thing edison helped solidify that there would be no free energy essentially you can research nikola tesla who was all about free energy and we would know a lot more about him if it weren't for edison and his robber baron ways he basically took a monopoly and conquered tesla I think that Tesla seems to me like he would have done more good for the modern world than Edison ever did. It appears that Edison was all about metering the current and charging people. He was a businessman. Yeah, he was a businessman. So good for him. We're making business. And now Elon Musk is bringing up what's the face's name. Unscrupulous practices, (laughs) right? his cars. Unscrupulous. So these guys had all the resources to make themselves look good while doing evil. That cannot be understated. And he was fighting... A, a war against the interests of the common man. Would energy who was be f- fighting? Edison. We're just talking about all these cats hanging out. So this is who Ford's hanging out with. Would energy be free or would it be charged by the minute? And Edison is quoted as saying, and forgive me for the language, but he said, damn right it's going to be charged by the minute. And Is that how he said it? I don't know what his voice sounded <laughs> like at that age, but there is a recording of him on air 
with Henry Ford and our boy Firestone, maybe during their tour, and they're all just upselling the what the American worker needs to become. You know, how the young worker in America is so much a potential and how he can be anything as they're selling Henry's new 40-hour workweek dream that eventually became, and all, which all started with this tour that they took together. But what are the odds, though? Did. What are the odds that these two men, both who help potentially solidify us in this industrial serfdom, servitude, slavery, that they were living together? Well, like I said earlier, you have to you have to combine forces. So they looked at each other's scholarly ways or their geniuses and their mad their mad geniuses, really, their evil geniuses, and they decided to put forces together, which started by living next to each other so they could really be having these brainstorming parties about how to enslave the people and make more money. That's just basically how it starts. And after their success, you have an America where you have a car and you go to work to get money to put gas in your car so you can go to work. And all, all, all while we're on this awesome floating rock on the space, paying bills. Oh, my God. And the bills have gotten so much harder the last couple of years. But it started with each family getting a Model T. And how did they advertise that by taking this road trip, you know, getting it publicized, brainwash the masses. They start their trip off by going to the World's Fair. Now, again, this is another trip I don't want to go too deep into, but the World's Fair were... I know no, they're now kind of being considered uh, another sort of charade within the game itself um, as a way to kind of introduce these new agreed-upon systems of technology while also revising history. And you can look at this. A lot of these world fairs had these amazing old technologies and buildings that were uh, kind of on display and then never on display ever again and supposedly were built just for that occasion and then burnt down. And you have these huge fires that tend to occur. And I have this T-shirt from when 1984 when I was two years old it says the World's Fair on the front, and it has this uh, ball of fire on it. It's a cool shirt that I still have, tiny little shirt. But that symbol now is, like, catching my attention because supposedly there was a lot of revisioning going on. And the idea then is that these guys were doing the same thing. So here they start their trip off with the World's Fair, and now we're going to make our own way of living. So back up for a second. World's Fair, basically a big exhibition of things going on in the world, right? Yeah. So these things okay. would like, well, in pop China, up in these we big have cities. In Tokyo, we have in Chicago, where Tesla, I think it was Chicago, had these electric wireless remote control boats on display. He had some amazing displays of energy, wireless energy, way back in the late 1800s. Now I'm thinking of that scene from, what's that show we were watching recently? Oh my gosh. <laughs> the variant. <laughs> Low key. Oh gosh. The scene with a guy, what's his face, is showing all this. He's displaying this like amazing new technology that he has to the population that's there and it's this new thing and people are like, oh, I want to bid on that. I want to bid on that. I'm better than that. But the time set is back in like 18 or yeah. whatever hundreds of so it, I just had that visual of that example, but it was one that made it current for me since I watched the propaganda that was on that particular show. <laughs> Any Hoosiers. So these World's Fairs were big, and they would show off this was the history, and they talked about the Ice Bridge and the way that it was all native and, and things and how that was the history of America. World's Fair, a large international exhibition of a wide variety of industrial, scientific, and cultural items that are on display at a specific site for a short period of time, ranging usually from three to six months. They included exhibits from a significant number of countries, foods, beverages, okay. all that stuff. Interesting. And, and they entrenched the ideas of Columbus and things like that. But they also put on display these amazing feats of technology. There were airships and things at some of the World's Fairs 
that we don't really recall historically, but you can still find records. And the big thing was, again, a lot of the architecture, supposedly the old world that was being destroyed. But moving on from the World Fairs, so the road trip, which had all sorts of publicity back in the day, you know, this is what car culture is like. This is all programming and propaganda of its own day. Technically, we're selling this dream. You can trace the origins of fast food, of motels, of gas stations. Back in the day, there was this dream of traveling Route 66. We assume that these were all just normal life, take it for granted, but it's all originating from the original road trip. Everywhere they went, they were likely rewriting history and planting seeds for what they were doing. They had to because they had to have a long-term agenda. It wasn't just something you just talked over the campfire and then, like, you know, whatever. They were like, look, we're about to make this, we're going to ingrain this and however we can, and they had the money to do it. And each one had their specialty. You had your tire man, you had your oil man, you had your light man. The problem is, (laughs) you know, you had all this technology that supposedly— Electricity, rather should continue to innovate and really since especially the combustion engine as we know it with oil considered the combustion engine as we know it that utilizes gasoline has seen zero innovation since the model t like really like literally and why is that Um, i want to talk to auto mechanics guy i would love to get some more information on that if anybody out there has any story that they would like to add please chime in so we've seen zero innovation on the internal combustion steam engine since the advent of the model t They have not innovated. They have presented us with now a new alternative being electric cars. But electric cars have always existed. They've been around since before the Model T. In fact, you can find all sorts of references to this. And I've seen a video from the early 1900s of a a driverless car dodging people in the streets who are walking in front of it, driving very slow. You know, there are electric scooters, people riding around on scooters like we would see on the streets today, wearing their old bowler hats and their long coats and black and white. There's all kinds of these videos that I'm seeing suddenly in the last maybe decade that I hadn't seen before that are really impressive. And there's all sorts of news clippings about electric cars back in the day. Taxis would drive around New York and they would stop at the station and just replace batteries and then head back out on the streets. Mm. And, and that was a... My grandpa talks about how there used to be a trolley that went through downtown Franklin and it was electric and it ran all the way to Indianapolis and all the way back to down to Franklin. And it was an electric trolley that ran on an electric line. Mm. And... <laughs> I remember from seeing construction in the Main Street, I delivered Main Street Franklin where this trolley went down with my paper out. I remember seeing the tracks in the street mm-hmm. back when they before they were paved over. And there were bricks in the street before that stuff was paved over. Paved over, wiped out, destroyed, yeah. burned down. There's a theme here. Uh, there's all, I know about all kinds of to uh, create the illusion things that of used the dream. to exist in Franklin that no longer exist. It's crazy. It's funny supposedly cars used to be more efficient than they are today. My grandpa talks about this, actually. So my grandpa was brilliant before he lost his brain. I don't know if I went into detail, but his dad was a brilliant engineer. When all of this was happening, I have to say this. And say I, it, I, I, baby, I, I say might it. have to come around. <laughs> but we're talking about... Um, Said I have to declare. <laughs> uh, my my, my great-grandpa, my grandpa's dad was a brilliant man. He was known as the brilliant engineer in Franklin and ran the only gas station in town and my grandpa and his brother worked there after his glory days mind you as an engineer and as a young man working in that town he used to work on the trains that would come through town the trolleys that would come through town my grandpa would tell me and he would his claim to fame and something that everyone in the family was always proud to say my crazy uncle bob and my mom would always say that when ford motors was getting it started in detroit and they were having troubles solving issues with their engines they would call him 
Mm. And he was injured. He lost his middle three fingers in an injury doing mechanical work. And at that point, he became just kind of like an expert that would call out the shots. And that was during those days that they would call him Mm. solve problems. So he was brilliant, but he, during the Prohibition era, lost his mind to alcohol. I don't know the true story of what happened, but I know it was miserable for my grandpa growing up with the way his mind deteriorated. But we know that they were poisoning alcohol back in those days and stuff, too, as a Mm. reaction to Prohibition. Mm. And and Franklin was a polarized town, I guess, when it came to Prohibition. So there were both sides of the fence. But he was an alcoholic during this time. And he lost his mind to alcohol. His fortune uh, was later, after he passed, taken by another man who married temporarily uh, my great-grandma after his death and then left. And so my grandpa was left with nothing. But my grandpa grew up a brilliant man in his own right. Uh, He had seen his dad dig the town pool and and was a mechanic and seen all these amazing things as a kid. His brother, his older brother, grew up to be a test pilot for the um, Air Force and uh, died, uh, died heroically in a wreck. He was actually more of an engineer than a pilot, but he was riding along with a pilot who was flying Mm. who wrecked the plane that he was working on. And he was in it to make adjustments, right? To to Uncle Tom? Great Uncle Tommy. Great Uncle Tommy. Yep, yep. And so Tommy had passed. But Grandpa, you know, he had kind of a different experience. When he was in his young, late teens, early 20s, he was so intelligent that he was working for a company, a car company that was a subsidiary of all these automotive industries that were cropping up. And he swore, swore growing up that he invented the catalytic converter, he and another man who worked on it, but that he worked for a company where you would sign off anything that you created. Mm. But he also swore that they were creating the catalytic converter as a way to curb the vehicle's potential and that all cars had to have a catalytic converter and that it was essentially... It made Designed it harder to stub to stub things. Something along those lines. I'm not mechanically inclined. Like that's why we need an auto mechanic like in here. Family, <laughs> yeah. When you get somebody well, in here, might know some stuff. It can fill in the gaps for us. Certainly, but long story short, I don't know that any of that stuff's true. But but the cars supposedly used to be more efficient, and it's interesting that I had that pounded into my family head. Family ties to and all of that. It's just interesting to think about this. So this brings me to ethanol. So turns out synchronicity here. Ethanol was what all was what Ford wanted to run all these cars on. But when Prohibition started, they made ethanol illegal too. Why? Because you tell me why. No. It was included. They made and, a whole and, bunch and of stuff illegal for what so, reason? So what reason was Prohibition really started? So here you have some competition to big oil. You have Rockefeller, Big Daddy Rockefeller, who's established, <laughs> who is Daddy. the founder of Standard Oil at the time. Ford is not necessarily buddies with Rockefeller. You know, he's not, you know, he's he's buddies with these other cats. Uh, but Rockefeller is something else. He's a big fish. These guys are these guys are young robber barons. They're not a they're not the OG robber baron. Mm. So you've got Rockefeller who's got influence. And then Prohibition starts right when the, the Ford's cars and things are taken off. And Ford wants it to be so the farmers can make their own fuel. Yeah, he's got his own ethanol factory, but he's more into making the cars. He's trying to find ways to make rubber. He's trying to find ways to get in on the fuel game, but he can't compete with big oil. So this is a way for him to get in. And, That's and probably why he's trying to go after the Amazon, too. Sure. Some people think that Ford was a good man, but there's all kinds of dark stuff about that guy. But Definitely I, dark. Yeah, we'll talk more about that. But <laughs> let me keep going. Can't it's, keep up with, with Rockefeller, and ethanol is now illegal during Prohibition. So let me get back to the catalytic converter because this is important. So my grandpa swears he converted the catalytic converter, but then I have to mention this. My grandpa, when he was young boy, like five or six, he dove into the pool that his dad had built for the Franklin City pool. It's still there today, and he cracked his head on the bottom, 
uh, they had to pull him out and resuscitate him. They say when he was, I think, 23, he had two brain hemorrhages back-to-back where he incurred seizures and there was bleeding on his brain. They had to do an emergency surgery. And as a result of the surgery, he had weird short-term memory problems. I don't think his long-term memory was really an issue, but it's just something I want to keep in mind, like I keep in mind when I tell any grandpa's story. So I always question did he really invent the catalytic converter? I cannot prove. Well, that he if it was, the this, this sounds like it was after his injury. These events, as far as him working in the factory, were before his injury. So that will probably be deep in his memories, yeah. right? His, yeah. Like already but secured. I, for I the would most love part. to research that paper trail. Yeah. Well, and research. But your this man, after, like super... after a scrambled brain, he built his own house. He dug a basement under his own house. He built telescopes. He polished his own lenses in his basement with tools that he procured and built. And he would just like sell this stuff and build it and sell this stuff and build it and sell it impulsively, though, because of his brain problem. Um, but he cleaned house <laughs> when I was a child, leaving nothing to show for any of this stuff. It was a part of his condition. He could never settle. He, he was always nervous and could never keep himself that, relaxed. That telescope, though, you remember looking through it as a kid, right? Yeah, I saw the moon. So big. So big, man. You could see all kinds of stuff up there. But I used to follow him around, and he would, you know, forget his measurements, and he'd just take, and he once drove off at a gas station and took the pump with him. <laughs> ah, were you there? Things like that, no, but my, my cousin Chris was. <laughs> um, it's funny, when in the pandemic started, they took ethanol away. You remember that? They took ethanol out of the gas, so they, they say they're making fuel more efficient, right? And they, But they have all this stuff in fuel that doesn't belong in fuel. They've made fuel less efficient in our lifetime, I swear. And when the pandemic started, they took ethanol away. My dad used to always say, don't ever buy B- BP gas because it's like water. Yeah. Because <laughs> they'd be doing stuff to that gas. It, it and you'd be like, why, 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 why do I have to go quicker. and fill up when I really just, is something going I, on with I the I remember gas. my grandpa going on about that one. And he was kind of late in his life and he was already losing it by then a little bit, if you know what I mean. But I think about it and the synchronicity between his life because of his father's life and that not so long ago, Henry Ford himself may have actually known who my great-grandpa was if my great-grandpa was literally the guy at the main factory that they were calling on, which was the claim. He would do a lot. It's too bad he had to fall apart. The the family's wealth was taken. Anyway, when Ford started his auto industry, he built it on ethanol and had it to where you were basically running these cars on vegetable oil, seriously. So there's even proof that Ford had a hemp car and he was ready to mass-produce it at one point. And this was probably all before Prohibition ended. Because once prohibition ended, you know, marijuana became illegal as did hemp products. And, and it wasn't until recently that hemp has become a viable option because it's so making help hemp milk now. <laughs> but it's funny because when one line ended, the other one began. And so, you know, they ended hemp at nylon and all this other stuff comes in. But mm. uh, there's proof that this technology exists, the ethanol and all this fuel stuff. And that to the end of the oil robber barons, we are being misled, essentially. Then prohibition happens, alcohol is illegal, but not just booze, this fuel. And wouldn't you know it that when Ford finally agreed to stop using ethanol altogether, it was in the late 20s, just as soon as Ford stopped using ethanol and switched to gas, prohibition ended. Mm. Isn't that interesting? Mm. (laughs) You know what? As I decide to further investigate on things, and I've done my own little digging, there are so many, there's so much handshaking involved and arm twisting involved. 
And all of those transactions and deals are at the expense of the comfort and the growth of the American family. Certainly. So the 40-hour <laughs> work week essentially came in with the advent of the, the Ford Motors kind of taken off. Now, it was presented as a solution to the 60-hour work week. The, to the 80-hour <laughs> work five, week. The five-day you know, work week versus the six-day work week. And certainly it was a, and, and he was even given a raise, $5 up from two thirty an hour or something like that. <clears throat> so that looks great on paper. Everyone's going to buy into that. But what's the what's ultimate the price? price is now you've agreed to a system period. Whereas beforehand, those other things may have been in place because companies could get away with it, but it's not the system you want to adopt is a system where you're working more than you should be. It's, no. it's like choosing the lesser of two evils. It's not what you really want to do. And it wasn't like a choice was given, you know, but oh, how well, the illusion of choice was given. Probably it's probably what it looked like. And it's funny because all these other people were involved. We talked about Ford. He may have originally been for ethanol, but the guy was not necessarily altruistic. He may have been for uh, farmers being able to make their own fuel and fighting against big oil at one point. But obviously something changed and the dude's living in Florida, the same place that Rockefeller's living at the end of his life, who's, you know, the founder of Standard Oil. So who knows, who's to say that they weren't in communications? Because certainly both the people were involved in, we'll just say, making money in, during World War II, much like when we discussed oh, earlier, well, Mr. Prescott Bush. Well, hold on a second. If he is excited about about ethanol and farmers being able to make their own fuel. I'm curious if through Mr. Ford's eyes as he was looking at these farmers, like this is another plantation I can own. <laughs> people, I know people, that. people, workers, enslaved. So Ford, Ford burned down part of the Amazon forest? Okay, so Ford wanted to build, as a part of his empire, wanted to make his own rubber. And so prior to his close relationship with Mr. Firestone, Harvey Firestone, that is, he built, I think it was called Fordlandia. I want to build a Ford plantation in uh, the Amazon. I so, want to take over the world, so I'm going to strip everybody yeah, of Fordlandia in the Amazon rainforest. He was going to secure a source of rubber for his automobiles, and the project faced numerous challenges, including ecological and cultural issues. Sounds like you're reading. What are you Turns reading? out that there was de deforestation, and he was kind of given negative publicity about that, but this community that he was starting totally ended up not becoming a thing, but he had to so, make way so, for that establishment. I'm reading the business in Insider right now. Headline, Henry Ford built Fordlandia, a utopian city inside Brazil's Amazon rainforest that's now abandoned. Take a look around. This is from a 2020 article. You're right. In the 20s, he constructed a rubber plantation that would serve as his personal supply of the material. And then it talks about how it fell apart and whatnot. So we have this man who has a lot of money, right? And mm -hmm. he like is joining forces with some of the big top players. Mm -hmm. And he also has all these factories for building all these cars and stuff. And is like, hey, people, let's just have everybody come work in my factory and make all these cars. And I'm going to make this rubber for the cars. And we're going to... And then he can't make the rubber for the cars, even though he's like destroyed the Amazon and at least tried to. So he, what is he, partners up with somebody else who's making tires? Yeah, I mean, all this stuff <laughs> happened over in the, you know, the 1910 to the 1920s. So there's a lot of things happening uh, during this period of time. And, and all that's kind of really important. You know, World War One had happened. And what, what happened, what, what, what happened was the folks that made a ton of money during World War One were these rich industries that already existed. So that these folks who were already loaded 
are suddenly super loaded. The John D. Rockefellers of the world are like, dang, now I'm really rich. Now I'm a really big fish. And they were able to re- kind of re-benefits in some of these war-torn nations and areas. And it's mm. turning out that maybe there was more to these wars. Look up the Lusitania. Look up the sinking of the Lusitania, World War One. <laughs> Hint, hint. <laughs> These folks were money hungry, and so they were making moves. Sounds like they were making moves to the point of making it a national campaign to fit everybody into their business model so that they can continue to reap profits. And what does that even mean about the 40-hour work week? Yeah. Well, it's funny because all these people are integrated. So not only did Edison, Ford, and Firestone end up connecting in Florida. While they weren't butt buddies with Rockefeller, there was a push made by Rockefeller to affect Ford's presence. So there's a misconception about the order of operations when it comes to the automobile. Everyone thinks that the oil kind of preceded electricity and they look at it that way. That's not in fact the truth. There were electric cars back in the 1800s. There's all kinds of proof and truth about this. So when Ford was getting into the act, what was he starting off with? He was starting off not with electricity. He was using ethanol as a fuel source. You don't have to create electricity like you do with ethanol. Ethanol, you can grow it essentially using corn and fermentation equals ethanol. And the idea is farmers could make their own fuel. And so he made the biggest ethanol plant in the world at the time in the early 1900s as he began his venture. Now, this guy was doing a lot of things. And not looking at, you know, the way he was affecting other people, probably. You know, the, thinking the, only, the entire ecosystem of how we live and, and operate and we need rainforests to do all the beautiful, godly things that you we imagine? needed to do. He was building a community that was going to house 10,000 people immediately. He was going started. to enslave them. Yeah, he wasn't well, going okay. to. He wasn't. He wasn't having. He That's wasn't, my point. He wasn't. That's he wasn't point. giving them free dinners yeah, and yeah, lunch. Yeah. He was enslaving them. Can you, and can you imagine <laughs> he was the, going to. All the life that was lost, all the spirit that was lost in just that entire adventure. Whether, I mean, top to bottom, down to the all the animals that were and killed. Even, and even, I mean, I would feel comfortable saying that these people had no problem creating plantations in different areas, whether it was overseas, over here in America. So, And with plantations, you need workers. And with workers, you need to put them in line. And with when you put them in line, you have to find a way to do that. And all these folks had influences in media. They had influences in business-minded ventures. They had influences because of the wealth that they had. And all of this equals a big, nice, how do we control the people? How do we control the masses? And I don't want to jump too far ahead after just reading a bunch of stuff and learning some things that there is an illusion that has been cast over our eyes and our ears and our way of being that we were born into that started before we even got here. The systems were being built and created so that we can fall right into line. And what does that mean? We are working in the factory, whether the factory is a literal factory or it is a not literal factory. But these guys had a hand in that. And even Ford, he had a little newspaper run around his little factory talking about some. I don't have a lot of details on it either, but what was it called? Hold on. It was his propaganda that he was circulating in his factories about how Jewish people were terrible, and he was okay. wanting people to yeah, freaking. Yeah, I have some. Well, I have some. He other wanted people to to believe his nonsense that was already circulating through all of that. What do you do when you have a publication that's in the workplace that's perpetuating hatred and discrimination? You're grinding the folks for whatever it is you want them to believe in. The culture, he's creating a culture there, right? And these folks are going home and talking to their kids about, oh, I heard this on the newsletter that I was sent out of work. And they're, they're having their kids read it at the dinner table if that's how it went down. I don't know, I wasn't there. 
But here's this man. And didn't he get some like awards from the Nazis and stuff? Like this man was ridiculous. He, and then at, and then we still we still have his cars. So he did. He's over he, here messing up the American dream for everybody by having these workers who want to basically have a steady income. So look up Henry Ford on uh, Jewish influence. Look up Henry Ford on the elders of Zion. He was definitely one of these guys who was hanging out with Mr. Prescott Bush. He was also joining in on the efforts that made money off the war in World War II. So Hitler, Adolf Hitler, said he regarded Ford as his inspiration. What? Speaking to a 1931 Detroit news reporter. He had a, apparently a life-size portrait of Ford in his desk and revered Ford, proclaiming that, I shall do my best to put his theories into practice in Germany, modeling the Volkswagen, the people's car, and the Model T. So oh this corporate gosh. infrastructure in which they are building their industry is now being incorporated by one Nazi Germany. In fact, it's been said that Ford arguably provided vehicles that could have been used during Probably the war. Probably if, if he was friends with that other guy we just mentioned, why not? Because <laughs> why not just fulfill our dreams of making money and destroying lives? In uh, 1938, on his 75th birthday, he was presented with the Grand Cross of the Supreme Order of the German Eagle. Gross. Uh, which was the highest honor Nazi Germany could give to any foreigner and represented Adolf Hitler's personal admiration and indebtedness to Henry Ford. That's disgusting. Yeah. I don't want to talk about it. Anymore. Yeah, I don't really want to talk about it either. I just got to make a make a point out of it. So this is a guy who helped build our modern automotive. way of living. <laughs> right? Our, our, our need for automotive. You know, and we're talking about Ford Motor Company produced truck for the Nazis, supposedly, and high-tech chemicals were made by USA firms that and funneled to Germany the entire war. You know, the Nazis gave Ford their highest award. The United States brought Nazis over here to be scientists and God knows how many departments and fields. It's all terrible, but it does lay track for some of the things that we are talking about when we say the American dream, because it sounds like the American dream was has been polluted and been manipulated and been systematically set up by people that are only influenced in making profit off of person and, and, and you know and Ford, dignity of the Ford, person. Ford's connection to these big business, like you got to look at this stuff. It's it's important to acknowledge that. And then we, if we're acknowledging that, what does that mean? I mean, why isn't that being acknowledged, period? It just drives me insane. Anyway, let me continue here. Cars are basically not inherently evil. As a result of all this, we have the automobiles that we're driving today. So what does this all mean now? right? Rockefeller, Standard Oil, they are responsible. They're making money off the war. Ford is making money off the war. Bush is making money off the war. These people are all now still uh, present through their next generation, essentially. This next generation all holds a position of power over us today. So we're just being metered uh, mm -hmm. like these cars were being metered. Nowadays, it's it's all about restricting what we have. And with these cars, that was the case. You could have had free energy in the form of uh, ethanol that was available, maybe free energy in the form of electricity uh, versus what the car represents today. But instead, we have this car that runs on gas. We have a minimum wage that doesn't compete with the amount of a, a gallon of gas costs. You have apparently uh, we had surplus of uh, oil across the globe right before the pandemic. But we still have gas prices that are through the roof. We've got we're being we're being metered. We're being restricted. Now they're talking about cutting emissions, switching to electric when electric was replaced by 
oil automobile. Well, What's it's it's a they're, game. They're just using metrics to meter us to control us. It's a game. And it is a game. And I, to what end? What can we do about it? <laughs> well, I want to get back to to something that you said mentioned earlier. You know, Ford's influence over everything. I'm looking at the Business Insider right now, an article from uh, February first, two thousand twenty-three. And it talks about the history of the 40-hour work week. And it has the history of the 40-hour work week in different timelines. It starts from 1866 and drops down. And I'm, I'm scrolling here and I'm looking at September 25th, 1926, Ford Motor Companies adopt a five-day 40-hour work week. Business Insider. And that is the American dream. That's the American dream. That's how, that's how it starts. That's how you get your money. That's how you get your job. That's how you pay for your, your white picket fence. That's how you pay for your house. That's how you pay for all these things. Ford and his companies stamped that. And it's, I mean, it's a history marker. And now we're all following this model. And God love it. Some of us are pushing away from it by growing, doing our own businesses and things like that and trying to be lucrative and in creative ways. You almost have to have a side hustle. 47 hours a week doesn't equal 40 hours a week back when I was a kid. $50,000 a year doesn't equal $0.50,000 a year. Gas was, what, uh, $0.65, cents, 75 cents a, a gallon when I first started driving, and minimum wage was six thirty. And, you know, we're up to maybe 15 now, but gas is, you know, through the roof. And some other expenses, the cost of living especially, is, is the new racket, the new restriction, the new metering. You know, money's made out of thin air. <laughs> The debt is 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 never going to end, and we're we're just playing a part in this ride, and we're all being shook up, and it's a part of this play, I think, against the spirit to keep people bogged down, to keep them worried about all these other factors that are constantly, constantly working against them as a part of these systems that we're stuck in, that we're trapped in. And it's, it was all it was all sold as a dream and as an illusion, you know, that the five day work week you know, would encourage workers to go on vacation and shop on Saturday because Monday through Friday you were working and then you'd have more money to buy clothes and you could spend these extra two days just for your family and you'd have your car in your house and you'd make money. And that, that's what our grandparents, well, my grandparents were, you know, in Nigeria, but <laughs> that's what people were sold for years and years and years and years and years. And we can go on and on and on about this, but um, I mean, 40 hours a week isn't that bad as long as you have the right living conditions. If you're taking care of the family. If you're making the income to, that 40 hours a week is supposed to bring, like it, you just it, said, you just named all these all these things. We got we got groceries that are costing a family of six $1,200 a month if you really want to cook everything every night and feed everybody. You and know, if you want to cook like, everything and feed everybody while you're working a, a, an eight-hour day, driving an hour to work, and you're you know picking up your kids and all this stuff, like good good luck having any time to do <laughs> to anything spend else. any time with your with your, your people. Yeah, I mean that's my life right now. So God bless you. And man, there's so much more to say, but I I liked diving into this. First of all, we learned more about your family history and ties into this topic because it does come close to home a little bit, Franklin being like, or at least people were there doing great things, like your grandfather and great-grandfather. But this American dream that we've been sold, it hits close to home. And as we're trying to navigate the world and find our light, find the, the light through the darkness, realizing that the illusion that we've been fed or the illusion that's been set or the illusion that we were born into, we need to break free of that because it will eventually wear and tear us and, and weather us. That was a, a reference to a, a book that I was I am looking into. But yeah, it's it's a lot. It I is. love you. I love, I love you all too. the work that you do. It's great. It's awesome. Thank you for working hard. 
<laughs> I love you too. I couldn't be doing the this work now and and a lot of the work that I've I've been transitioning to without my wife. I'm grateful to be working with children again. And like I said, we're at a point where we're you know we've plateaued completely as a civilization in terms of development, especially on, on the working class level. And it's really important for us to get our foothold. And we can't seem to do that because some of these icons got so big. And they, so they clamp fast. they clamp down and they set uh-huh. the tone and then they they reap Had the benefits the and it came it at the expense of the working class so the idea is this you know i would work whatever it takes to get what i needed because the money is what matters the money is not enough you have to work more than 40 hours is my point you have to do something you have to find some kind of hustle especially today you cannot you cannot make a salary on a minimum wage that can pay for your living, not even close. $28 an hour is pushing it. With four kids, it is such a struggle. I don't know how we do it. And I'm so grateful to be here and to be on the radio and making this happen right now. But we got to figure something out. And it's always going to be that for us and for everyone else that is in our boat. And that is most people, regardless of, you know, there's a lot of people who have it better and there are a lot of people who have it worse. But most people are having a hard time financially in comparison to the previous decade. I want to jump back into something so we can have it noted. And the 40-hour work week is not necessarily the best. I don't think it's the best. Why? Because I think it's set up for you to spend more time at work than with your family. And you're cranking out money for the business. All that money is not coming home. It's coming to the business. And then you are getting a cut. And it's a small enough cut that you're still struggling to make sure that you have time with your family, that you're not burned out, and that you can pay all the bills and all the price of everything is rising. So... Business Insider did a little article back in February. Actually, first time I even heard about Maryland considering a bill incentivizing the four-day work week, but it's awesome. But it does give a breakdown of the five-day work week and why it became so popular in the first place. If you go back to the history, it starts off uh, President Ulysses uh, S. Grant in 1869 issued a proclamation that guaranteed a stable wage and an eight-hour workday, but only for government workers. So again, then there were some more dissolving of the labor union, a couple of unions that popped up. There were Mayday strikes, and people were just trying to raise awareness. And in 1890, the U.S. government began tracking workers' hours. The average work week for full-time manufacturing employees was a whopping 100 hours. Wow. 100 hours. That's a, a full-time work week for the so average worker who when was, was working in 1890. Dang, All right. we're talking robber barons. That's the day of robber so that's, barons. So that's, that's a slavery. Who's running, who's running that? That's that's not robber barons. That's slavery, yeah. So, I mean, this is U.S. government began tracking worker hours. Mm. And so they basically, I didn't see, I didn't go into how they did that, but, you know, census or whatever data they were pulling. So in 1906, the eight-hour workday was instituted at two major firms in the printing industry. In September 1916, Congress passed the Adamson Act, a federal law that established an eight-hour workday for interstate railroad workers. The Supreme Court constitutionalized the act in 1917. Then, boom, September 25, 1926, Ford Motor Companies adopted a five-day, four-hour work week. So it sounds like it was Ford who, and this is just the highlights from the Business Insider, but it was Ford who institutionalized the the five-day Monday through Friday, kind of five day, 40 mm-hmm. hours with the weekends as your free time to be with your family. Because going, you know, what, not too long earlier, it was that 100 day freaking average for workers that were working in manufacturing companies. So you go from crazy 100 hours and labor strikes to Ford setting a standard 
And his standard, his standard, I imagine, was probably set for his benefit, that he was able to sell all these people. Look, we can we can formalize this work week so that you can build these cars, you can take these cars home and you can still be in debt and come back to work. And I think that's what was perpetuated for so long. And if we keep going on then this timeline's pretty, you know, it's easy to digest. But there was a Congress passed the, the Fair Labor's Act, Sanders Act in 1938, which limited the work week to 44 hours. Um, and then Congress amended that two years later. Um amended this Fair Labor Standard Act, limiting the work week to 40 hours. And then in October 24th, 1940, the Fair Labor Standards Act went into effect. How has the 40-hour work week evolved since then? Well, the pandemic really changed things. People like suddenly went home, right? Well, like I said before, <laughs> before then, it was already not equal to as far as pay because the wage gap has continued to grow since oh, then. Yeah, so yeah. way back then, 40 hours, when it was started, might have actually been such a dramatic change for them that it was like hundred a, a dream yeah. <laughs> but since then the wages do not travel like when i was a kid you could have a job working anywhere and, and buy a car mm. and you can't do that anymore you gotta save 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 yeah yeah save save work we're, we're grinding time if nothing else more than we used to and Spending we're left, time away from your family yeah and we're limited on just human interactions in a way that we never were before. And we accepted a lot of these changes going, honestly, back more recently than I'd like to admit, just with the changes of the last few years. But like I said, the pandemic the, has changed changed things I mean. and people are working from home and they're definitely working longer. Because My production went through the roof and it was good. And then every time you... <laughs> Every time you outperform the salary, they're like, "Wait a minute! Wait a minute! We can't pay. We can't pay you. You're doing all this work. We can't pay you. Hold on a minute. We're gonna we're gonna still stifle you and not give you any opportunity to grow. And then it's like this dream of trying to uplift yourself within the community and in the in the company. And they're mad that you're. Why not give every person an opportunity to to grow? to grow for the company so that it flourishes. We're a representative of the company, if right? If somebody's good enough for. to like break your bonus structure that many times in a row, it w are you going to really just look at them like a liability? You're going to find a spot for them. No, they, they don't really want to pay you. They don't want to pay you for, for being ability. awesome. They want to pay you to stay well, in was, your lane. There was more than there was more going on in that little they bubble. They want to pay you in. to stay in your lane. Long story short, the 40-hour work week, the conditions of working Monday through Friday that we were sold when we were younger, that this is what you're going to buy into when you get there, when you get older and you can work and then you, you know, it's not, it's well, not, it's not, it's not meant, it's not meant for you to, it's not set up so that you can be with your family we were as much as you want to work. <laughs> we were not built for this purpose. We were not built for this purpose. We weren't built for this. Not like this. <laughs> and what what's not the solution? Like Entrepreneurship, this. barter, small businesses. You have more control over your, the, the way that you... solution is overthrow some hypocrites and let's uh, make everyone have to work for their wage. Like starting from the top down, there has to be an equity a scale. And if you do not put in the literal leverage in your effort as measured by a scale that's everyone, and I'm talking everyone, we got to get the Rothschilds on this scale. Uh, we got to get the Rockefellers on this scale. We got to get the, the DuPonts and the Sinclairs and the um You're the dropping Windsors a lot of names. The, um, all these cats who aren't on the books, and sure, why not the well, hold, Bezos? Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. How about we start? How about we start? How about we start? How about we start locally and Moses. say that people that are representing our that are our representatives in the government, like whether they're at state level or you know whatever federal level, they should be making the same wages as the average person. Well, that's what I mean. So that they have the perspective of the average middle class, if, and they'll be able to speak on the effects. Culture. Of 
speaks to equity regardless of which way you want to cut it. It, it. it can be overdone or it can be underdone, and it's usually both. But it's never done right. And if it was done right, we would all really be on the same playing field as human beings, as individuals, and we wouldn't be slaves to another class. And we live in a classist society. And if you're racist, you're classist. If you're sexist, you're classist. If you think that another person is, is inferior to you, you're classist. And that goes for the whole human race. And there's some people who think that they're above that and they look down on other people and some of them are sociopaths and maybe there's more to it for others well yeah so how do we move how do we move past well there's got to be some these solutions illusions is there that any, were placed anything upon on the horizon younger? what 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 is there is there anything out there that's happening that that can give us i feel like a little bit of, i should literally peel back my eyelids so i can say you know when i was little i didn't know I they know told that. me christopher columbus was a good guy i didn't know what i know now, now i know Sorry, it was really dramatic. Um, but now I know. Now I know that hustle and grind. I was ready to get my first job. I was ready to get my first job. I didn't. I, I probably didn't need to work that hard when I was younger. And I think I wanted to because I knew what that money could bring, right? Mm. But if I knew you have so much creative skills right now, did you know that you could have a job doing these creative things that you love so much? If all of my support networks at home and at school and in the community and the random people that I'd meet, whether it be a one-day event here or there, would cultivate that, cultivate that love and say the things that you want to do that you are really good at now as a child, did you know that you could do this when you get older too? And be able to be diverse in my experiences, not just be like, where's the lucrative job opportunities, but be able to explore all of those options. I think I probably would have started a business earlier. I have the wisdom now, right? I have so, the wisdom to look back and say, oh, those things I used to like when I was younger, I can make money off of that. Another, why, didn't, why didn't I? And you know, it's just. Buck stops I, here. Let's, let's make it change. If we can't well, we are start, making a start change. for ourselves, but let's then do better for our kids. We're making that's, a change. That's how you really make the buck stop here. You you take the last generation's challenges, you make them stop right here, right now, however you can. I think it's up to us to do that. Whether these guys were good guys or bad guys, that's up for God to decide. It's not really our problem, but it is our prerogative to know where we stand and, and where we're aligned with the way things are now. And the truth is all those cats, they capitalized a long time ago and they're still playing off of that contract and the, the juice just keeps getting squeezed and squeezed and this well, rind is dry, in, man. We are, into that contract? We, are, we are already wrung out. It is time for change and the reset that they're talking about where they meter us even tighter and we all are... Uh, own nothing and we're happy that's not happening the court of public opinion will always win out yeah and as long as you know the holy spirit is here you know we can spread this like a fire and i know there's even some news articles of of some changes going on i've i i know i saw somewhere where the 32 hour work week is being implemented we talked about yeah that maryland yeah maryland, maryland is uh, the general there's, assembly is, i swear there's some places in in, in, in Europe, the uk yeah that I are looking too. at that too and, i think they've already started I you know i think, I think companies more open to that what we need to get is the wage balanced the wage that, well, then that, it shouldn't that cost, is it shouldn't a bigger cost, issue. It shouldn't cost That's me $10,000 to go buy food for my family. Yeah, and, I and should have access to misconceptions a, I should on have access a to of, a farmer that wants to trade with me, or I can give him directly the funds. I shouldn't have to worry about farms being burned down and things happening that are suspicious, and I want to just buy you know good produce and clean milk from the cow next door. <laughs> I don't want to I don't want to be I don't want to be trapped in a system that was set up by people that just want to make money. But unfortunately, that's what we live Free in. So how do we maneuver energy. through that? 
free energy. We need to figure it out. There's enough. The light of God. There's enough out there that's hinting at, if not free, then just much more efficient. You know, we're this close to superconductors, if nothing else, that'll change life for us. But to get these people who are just capitalizing in the name of profit, to get all this price gouging out of the way, to get all the insider trading out of the way to do audits, audits of the Pentagon, things like that. You want to get into another yeah, audits of the Federal of, Reserve? Thing of, thing of I got to do a shout out to, to Ryan Carter Poston because that was one of the last conversations before he passed away. Mm. And, uh, you know, I, I think people need to be held accountable so that we can stop perpetuating these illusions and force feeding these dreams into children and families and, and caregivers that aren't is not reality. The reality is we're born into a system that expects us to be enslaved at different levels, at different classes, to the profit of other people. That can be at the expense of our health, the expense of our finances, the expense of our family and network, the expense of our support systems, you know, again, mental health and health. And it's something that, like I said, and I keep going back to it, how we fight back against that and cleverly, not in the, at expense of like our livelihood, but in a way to maneuver through this system that systems that were set up before we got here. Well, we and, have to stand up for ourselves too. We have to start speaking up. And I think that that's kind of what this is to a degree. The truth is there's more than meets the eye. Yeah. With, with things that are ruling our everyday life. Yes. This, this is, this the is, conditions in which we live in are like, are why why were they set in place in the first place? And Who did that? You know, obviously, I, I think it's going to look and feel different for other people. But surely this is there's a lot of common themes here that I think a lot of us can agree on. But not to be afraid. This is a, just a unique thing. We're not. We can talk about it, too. And that's <laughs> the best thing about the show. And it's great. the people that we uh, are connecting with, like, hopefully you might have some solutions or you might have something that we really need to be thinking about. I did mention this, but I think the barter system is a really, really great one because what it does is it says, hey, you have a talent, you have a skill, you have something to offer this world, and I need that service. And how can we have a relationship so we both are building using our individual skills collectively to build the community around us? And then we take those skills or those projects or those castles we're building and we go around, you know, in our community, in our different neighborhoods. We lift people up who are lowly. We lift people up that are in need. And this is the spirit that we need to walk into when we are talking about your time, your your talent, your treasure in this, this season of Advent. I want to be able to say, hey, you have you have great skills over here doing God knows what. Let's say I'm not I'm not a carpenter, right? I, but I would love to meet a carpenter who then wants some, you know, photography. Uh, maybe I can take pictures of the work, you know, that person's done and then we can trade off of that. Okay, what's the cost of the labor here? And and match it up. Make it make sense. Any garage door repairman out there? Oh yeah, yeah, for we some need photography. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Please we need some help. <laughs> I think I don't think I need a plumber anymore. I think I figured that out today, uh, but I do need a garage store repairman. Yeah, yeah. I just need the tools or, um, or a new garage door. Or I will the, do. I will do a shout okay. out to the Silver Arrow <laughs> Photography and Hospitality. That is uh, the business that we created. Oh, mostly me, but it's a combination of of our pays homage to names in our family history that come together to make this beautiful, beautiful um, combination of photography services and hospitality, which really encompasses bartending and cocktail creation and, and mocktail creation and just that hospitality that comes in that. So that business is up and running and that is to supplement some of the <laughs> costs of living. Uh, I was like, look, we got to make a business so we can get that money because in the we, we Indianapolis have to. or uh, Tri-State, Cincinnati, uh, Covington area looking for services 
you need somebody to work on an event for you, serve some drinks. We have the license. We have the yeah. means if you need photography as well. Mm -hmm. We have everything we need to make it happen. And then some. Uh, we can do more than just that. You can find us, <laughs> find find us at uh, the Silver Arrow on Instagram. So yeah, I definitely want to close out with saying that despite some of the things we talked about, despite it being like a, the blinders have been lifted and we're like, what? Do I have to work and slavery and uh, people have money who put things in place. At the end of the day, there's a lot that each person has to offer. And I think when we look into the spirit and the light of each person and their gifts that they have to offer, we can find the true way of how to break down completely these systems that have stronghold on how we operate in the world. And I, I can't wait for our children to get older. Actually, no, I can wait. But raising a new generation of people that will be taking on the mantle of doing good things in the world. I'm so happy to be a part of their lives so that we can raise them up to be doing the Lord's work, really. And from a guy who used to work 63 hours a week and he had kids bartending, brewing, carrying kegs around, driving around, uh, a delivery truck, bartending by night, and all kinds of other things in between. From a guy who worked that kind of schedule, it was workless now, you know, take some time to slow down a little bit. It's, it's more important than anything. You will find more peace of mind out of taking that time than mm -hmm. you will putting that time off. And by the time you catch up to it, it could be too late. Mm -hmm. So I'm looking forward to a long life Slowing as long down. as I can have hypertension and overworking yourself and all that stuff is uh, the quickest way to shorten your fuse. So please, please, please find a, a way to take a deep breath. Slow down. I use slow my, down. My, my slow radio voice. Slow down. Relax. That, um, and you know what? Once you go chill, you never go thrill. Find your joy. And your joy is not just one thing. What is your joy? What makes you happy? What gives you peace? What gives you serenity? What gives you calm? What gives you strength? What gives you power? And not power of man, power of God and the Holy Spirit. What gives you that drive and what gives you that creative inspiration to create, to produce, to make, to give back? Center yourself in the Holy Spirit if you can. Always keep two eyes closed and one eye open on the light that's shining behind our eyes. There's more than meets the eye, always. So many eyes. <laughs> <laughs> Your third I, eye I is the I. other eye. Eye and eye. <laughs> Your third eye. What about, that should be an episode on the third eye. The calcified third eye. Oh, the pineal oh, gland. Oh, the calcified third Stay eye. Stay tuned for more episodes. Thanks for joining Contact us, Contact us. If you guys have thoughts or anything you want to help us carry on this conversation, maybe in another episode, we're really looking forward to doing some more feedback with everybody. I definitely want to be able to bring some people into the conversation just to highlight some of the things that we're not experts on. I think that'd be really cool. We are finally up on Spotify, so please be on the lookout. and Woo! <laughs> you can also, of course, find us. This light of ours on Instagram, truthglows at gmail.com. You can find us at themariansiren.com. That's www.themariansiren.com. That's where you can find us. That's where you can find this light of ours. Can you, can you, let's, uh, let's get a prayer on the way out of here. Let's, let's, let's be specific this time. Let's find something uh, relative to the subject. 
I'll get us started if you can close us off. Dear Heavenly Father, we ask that you bless us on this day. Please be with us, our listeners, our families, and friends. Lord, we ask that you help shed light in our lives. As we seek the truth, we look to you to guide us. Please help us to see this light when we're in these situations. Help us to open our eyes and to be open to new information, Lord. Please guide us. And Lord, we just ask that through the grace of the Holy Spirit, that the wisdom that is from the Lord and only the Lord and through the wise words and actions of Jesus Christ, Lord, we just ask that continue to bless us, our family, and all of our listeners, as my husband has mentioned before. And as we find revelations and epiphanies, that we not be struck with fear, but that we walk in conviction and confidence in the protection of St. Michael, all the and, angels and saints. And Lord, we ask that you help the, the common man in America today. There's a lot of hard working men and women, young and old, in this country, and we're often divided by so many different issues, challenges such as the 40-hour work week and balancing time in a complicated world, financial challenges that seem to be continued by these systems that we're a part of. Lord, just help us to break this old paradigm and to see this light shine on people in a way that will help us to overcome these challenges. God, just help us to rise above what we have to deal with, but to also give us the courage and the strength to be willing to talk about these things and not be ashamed or afraid. And to come closer to you in the process. Dear Lord, we ask that you help us to find an easier path through our weeks, whether it's less hours out of the week or more pay or a combination of both, Lord. Anything would certainly help a lot of people find more balance in their life and time to spend with their families, Lord. We ask that you really just lift the, the chains that bind us, lift these things that are restricting us. This is an abundant world, Lord, and we shouldn't be made to live as though it is full of scarcity. You made this world for us, Lord. Yeah. It is important that we realize our true power and our true gifts and to not be afraid and to not hide our light when they shine so bright. God, just help us to embody the Spirit. We ask this in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. All right, I got to get the kids again, man. We are out of this one. We're out of here. It's time to go. It's time to go. Come check us this out on Spotify. We're on Spotify. We're gonna let it shine. We're on Spotify. This little light of ours. We on Spotify. We're gonna let it shine. We're gonna let it shine. This little light of ours. Oh yeah. We're gonna let it shine. We're gonna let, let, it, it, shine. Shine. let, it, shine. let it shine. Let it shine. Let it shine. Mm -hmm. See ya. Alright, seriously though. This light of ours. Happy holidays, everybody. I know by the time you listen to this, it'll be it'll be time. Time to celebrate good times. Come on. Oh yes. Let <laughs> me clear my throat. <laughs> 2024, bring it! Yeah! It was all Henry Ford's fault. And let's go talk to people about what it's like to get a car and drive it around and put all this oil in it that we needed because the Rockefeller needed to get more oil from the people. I say every man's journey is different. We gonna let it shine. This little life house. Oh, let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. <laughs> Ah. All right. I can't talk. Hallelujah, hallelujah. I'm in the spirit of joy.
<laughs> Don't drop that beat, baby. Don't I'm stop. in the spirit of joy. I'm in the spirit of joy. Hallelujah. I'm in the spirit of joy. Jesus. I'm in the spirit of joy. Hallelujah. This is the light of eyes on you. Yeah. Looks <laughs> <laughs> a dry all right, the sound of ew. <laughs> I take the mic off. Stop recording. <laughs> oh, is this how it's got to end? Oh no, not like this. Not like this. Got- <laughs> <laughs> it's time to go. Well, it's time to go. Cut. <laughs> I used to dream I could fly. I I still dream that I can fly. <laughs> Try getting back to that point in your dreams. <laughs> Making stuff up. It reminded me of a dream that I had. Actually, I won't. I won't share that one. That one's really personal. He chose the violence that day. How can we accept something like that? America. It hurt. It's not slow. It's because it's so big. It looks slow because it's so big. Just don't worry about it. <laughs> America. The American dream. America. <laughs> Oh, we need to insert an eagle, bald eagle. Is that, is that the sound they make? Yeah. I think you just like burping into a microphone and hearing your burp through your headphones. Maybe.